Coog's house. On Saturday night, following an embarrassing loss to TCU on a nationally televised game on Fox, we were told by head coach Dana Holgerson that it's not the play calls. It's just not. Hmm. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, today the podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Andrews, that'll break down all things Cougs if you're a U of H fan. Or just a hater who can't stop by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way, we can play us on Cougs into your news feed each and every day. Appreciate you making Lockdown Cougs your first listen of the day. If you're finding us on YouTube, welcome back to the YouTube channel. It's so good to see you again. Remember to subscribe. We're doing a giveaway every 250 subscribers. We'll see what we're giving away at 1750 base subscribe to get us there. And like and comment on the video to let us know you're in that contest. If you don't know what to say after this TCU loss because you're still embarrassed about it. You're still reeling. You feel like you've said all you can say. Tell us down below if you consider an Oreo one cookie or two. Now, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. We'll be talking more about them at some point, but I do need to open up with talking some about some of the things that were said in the post-game press conferences and kind of elaborating on what those tie, how those tie into the game. Uh, first, talk about this quote having to do with play calling. It's going a little bit viral relative to things that go viral with Dan Holgerson. Uh, the second, I want to talk some about drops and executions, more so, more so on that. Um, that kind of ties into the first segment as well. But the third and final segment, I'll look at what else was said because there were other things said, and I think it's interesting to look and make sure we are incorporating all of that. But first, this quote from Dana Holgerson, I think we should contextualize the quote because what's gone viral is when Dana said that it's not the play calls, it's just not. Now, he was asked directly about executing on fourth downs, uh, fourth and short. And I'll pull up the quote here for the video audience, but for the audio side, I'll also read it. He says, we have to execute fourth downs better. It's not the play calls. It's just not. We watch a lot of video, we come with play calls, and we come with schemes. It's the same thing other people are doing. We're just not executing. Now, I have to say a couple of things here. One, um, the context changed a lot of that quote, although I think that it's an interesting insight into the mind of a head coach um, when it says not the play calls. It's just not. Um, he did uh, continue to elaborate at later points of the postgame presser talking about execution, 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 and those kinds of things. Um, but on the whole, he's talking mostly about those fourth downs. Um, and so I want to contextualize that a little bit and then kind of expand it to be, I mean, what we all want to talk about is the actual play calling itself. I actually don't know that I had a whole lot of problems with some of the actual like going forward or not going forward decisions on fourth down. Uh, once you cross the 50 yard line, if you're not quite into your field goal range in modern college football, you kind of have to go for it on fourth and less than four or five. Um, just because honestly, it's going to be a too high scoring contest not to now what they did on those fourth downs, right? Like Donald Smith doing a non read handoff or some things like that. Not just getting, you know, on fourth and inches, fourth and short, not just getting up under center and doing the same, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles push that everyone's doing in NFL right now. Um, you know, we got a six, five, 250 pound quarterback, not doing those kinds of things. I, I would say is actually the play call itself, right? That is a problem as I see it. But as, if he's talking about more or less like going for it, that that's not that's not a problem. I, I don't. I think that that might have, carry some weight. Now the play calling the rest of the way, you know, execution's a word that's interesting. It's used a lot about players. Um, 
and, and players, you know, doing their job and doing their job effectively. We have a whole section segment today in the second segment where we're talking about drops, right? Like people need to do their jobs better for Houston to be better on offense after getting embarrassed by TCU 36 to 13. Um, but also execution comes down to executing a game plan as a coaching staff. And I think what's interesting in that is that um, I don't, I don't th- think, I think it's really lazy. And it's probably one of my things on Twitter. People get mad at me about like every time, like half of America loses on Saturday. And then everyone's coming on Monday at the water cooler and say, fire the coach, fire the coach, fire the coach. It's just like the easiest thing to say, fire the coach, fire the coach, fire the coach. You got people talking about Nick Saban. Right. And I said that a couple weeks now, but like, People want him gone. You've got people talking all kinds of things all crazy because there were a bunch of crazy upsets over the weekend or games that are way too close. People talking about Georgia being way too close with South Carolina and stuff like that. Like, what's Kirby doing over there? Right? Like, no, he won two national championships in a row. Chill. Right. But executing the current game plan for Houston is proving tricky. They don't have an offensive coordinator. They lost Shannon Dawson, and we didn't really worry because I think that we can do better there. And we just kind of let him go. There was no replacement plan. Uh, everyone kind of assumed, myself included, that Dana would be more involved in that replacement process. And instead, it looks like they've kind of talked a lot in the spring and summer of this three-headed monster of Dana Holgerson, quarterback coach Mike Burchett, who was recently a analyst and uh, you know, kind of help, not a TV analyst, like an offensive analyst for the pro- program, moving into the quarterback coach role. And then Amon Yagavi is the run game coordinator, right? That's the most we've got out of anything. And um, that triumvirate, that three-headed monster, that what's the big puppy dog's name from Harry Potter? Tell me in the comments down below. That takes orchestration and execution as well. The way that has to happen, it's not the only football team in America doing this, but the way that has to happen is as headman, Dana Holgers needs a pass call and a run call coming into his ear from he got the run call coming from Iman and the pass call come from Mike. And then theoretically he's making a tweak or a call or a decision based on that combination. Right. Um, now he's not in that instance, assuming the role of offensive coordinator because he's not coming up with what works here and, and schematting it. Like from that standpoint, he's got other head coaching duties, but he would be making the decision. And if he's not the one making the decision, then I guess it would come down to it sounds like Burchette's the one making the decision. Um, but even then, you want all three voices in, and you've got a 40-second play clock or less. You're trying to get those words into the quarterback so they can make the plays, so they can make the reads, and so on. It's a lot to work through. And when you see things like Houston is 4 of 15 on third down against TCU, sounds like those things didn't go very well. Sounds like those things weren't executed. Sounds like the play calling was also part of the problem even if the actual play is called in a pure video game sense dudes on a chalkboard even if those would work the orchestration of it seems very very flawed that that's not to say that it can't work it's just not right team is one and two the offense did not score a touchdown against tcu Um, tcu is coming off national championship appearance not saying they're not very good, but they're also not the exact same teams last year. They had a lot of guys turnover going pros or coming in from the transport. A lot, very different team, right? Um, a lot of things that they do have to fix. Full stop in that instance. And I don't think you can say that play calling is not one of them. Um, I am wondering as I look at some of my notes here, um, you know, just having the ball for less than 26 minutes, 25 minutes and 44 seconds of possession 
just 12 total first downs. Um, I understand the execution was poor. Again, we got a whole segment on drops coming up in a second. But at the end of the day, I also think that um, hmm, something is going wrong there and you can't continue to just say it's not the play calling. Even if schematically based on rules, this should beat that, right? Even if you know as a coach, this should always work against that kind of coverage. This should always work in that kind of situation. Even if that's the actual case, that it's not does mean the play calls are not working because the plays themselves are not working, right? And at some point, you got to call, like it's not, it sounds like call what works because like obviously that would work, right? Call what works. But also at some point it comes down to what do you hang your hat on as an offense? Are you a zone scheme team? Are you an inside pole team, like a little trap pole? Are you a mesh team? Are you a running back screen team? Are you? What do you do that you hang your hat on that you know on second and 10, you can get a few yards every single time? And if there's not a play that you can do that with, that feels like flawed play calling. Not because the other plays called aren't working, but because there's no base, there's no crux, there's no identity, and I understand that it's early. It's a fourth away through the season. There's three-fourths of the season left. But I wonder where the identity is going now. Does that mean big things need to change? Those kinds of things happen. I don't know. I do think that there are ways that this gets fixed. And again, it is just three-fourths, just, th- just a fourth of the way through the season. If we you know, look at this, you know, Houston's one and two right now. If they finish it nine and three, I don't think we're calling it a failure of a season by any stretch. If they finish at eight and four, first season of the Big 12 going to a bowl game at eight and four, I don't think we're calling it a failure of a season. I would say President Renu Couture did mention once upon a time she'd fire coaches for going eight and four. That feels like a long time ago. But I don't know that that's a fair barometer for the first year of the Big 12. If they were to theoretically go eight and four, I'd, I'd be fine. Seven and five, even, I'd be fine. But right now, one and two, I'm not sure. That we are now in the second time. I want to talk about something else going on because I do think there's some validity to the play calling being better than the execution of the field. We'll talk more about that in a second with the dropping of the footballs. But first, we need to talk about BetterHelp. Now, BetterHelp is a great service for people that just need people to talk to or people to work through things with. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire. Get matched to the licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash locked on college today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on college. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, I mentioned that in the second segment, I want to talk some about the dropping of the football. Because in the post-game show, so if you didn't didn't watch the game, didn't tune in the post-game show on Saturday night, uh, we broke down and weeps. We didn't actually weep. Uh, but we, we broke down the 36-13 loss, right? And 
all kinds of things in the immediate aftermath of it. And one thing I said was that the wide receivers need to catch the football. And I harped on that point a lot because it was super, super frustrating. And I got a lot of comments on that, on the chat, on Twitter. People think I was excusing Dana Holgerson, the offensive staff, or whatever, because they didn't catch the football very well. And first of all, who cares? But B, second of all, B, I don't know what I was doing, letters and numbers. Numbers, second of all, um, I, I don't think I'm wrong on this. So much so that people ask Holgerson about it afterwards. And Holgerson said, and I quote, I think he, being Matt Golden, is a great player. We all know that. He's trying hard. It's not practice habits. It's not effort. It's not attitude. It's not any of that. The dude wants to be so good, so bad, that he presses. That's why he's dropping the football. Just needs to calm down and let the game come to him. And Dana felt like he just feels that Golden feels the need to make every play. He wants to turn the four-yard out into a touchdown. We literally saw that one break that way on Saturday. Um, he's, you know, Dana would go on to stress he's so hard on himself and this and then the other thing. He's trying to shoulder a lot because last year he had the record-setting freshman year for the University of Houston. And so it feels like he's trying to, like, you know, live up to whatever comes next after that. So just playing ball. Um, and so that was kind of Dana Holgerson's explanation for what could be happening with Matthew golden and dropping of the football. And while that's fine and fair, um, at some point that's something that's got to get fixed. A wide receiver is supposed to receive the football and catch it. And I know that that's a really gross oversimplification and I'm not saying there's not something going on between the years with Matt, and, and I hope he gets it right. Um, but they've got to catch the football. He had three drops on Saturday. This is a guy that, again, last spring, when people were talking about Tank Dell going to the NFL draft, I in talking with people coming to the NFL draft to try to get some, you know, how, what's Tank looking at? There were people talking about Matthew Golden in the NFL last spring. That He's a pro. He's a pro's pro. He's a really good football player. And I'm sure that there is a lot of pressure he's putting on himself. And I don't think the offensive staff, for a number of reasons, is putting that on them on him at all. It's it's all him putting it on himself. But something's got to be fixed. Because even if it is not Matthew, right? So Matthew Golden had three drops, right? The Houston Cougars had five, right? Houston Cougars had five on Saturday. Um, two of them, I maintain, would have been touchdowns. And it's five as they credited it with a pro football focus, Um you know, some people, the the pass breakup versus the drop, I think, is more of an eye test thing. So some people might say six, some people might say four, but pro football focus gave it five, so I'm going to give it five. Um, five drops is inexcusable, especially when you enter the season, and I think rightfully so into the season, with Dana Holgerson talking about this being the best wide receiver room he's ever had. Ever. Go back and look at those wide receiver rooms at West Virginia. Go back and look at what he's working out with at Texas Tech when he's a wide receiver coach. Go back and look at what he had when he came through Houston the first time. He called this room that dropped the ball five times on Saturday the best he's ever had. And Saturday was not an anomaly. They've dropped the ball a lot this season. And um, I think what's interesting is it's the best wide receiver room he's ever had. And you really pretty much just have three of them play. Now, I questioned all summer long uh, in a couple different episodes, a couple different ways, a couple different, uh, you know, things would come to light. And I'd be like, what does that mean um, about who would get squeezed out in this rotation? Because they have a tight end playing because of the run game system. And I get that. I'm not saying they shouldn't have a tight end playing, but there are three, three wide receiver spots. And as I saw it, they really had like seven or eight dudes that could play. 
Uh, and I still kind of think that, frankly. And as I look at it, three are getting all the snaps. Matthew and Golden getting the bulk. Uh, Joseph Manjack, the fourth, getting the slot position snaps. And then Sam Brown uh, working the backside uh, wide out. And for what it's worth, um, the guy that they're not looking at in the red zone is the guy making all the plays. Sam Brown had uh, 25 catches on 25 targets. He's got 343 yards for 17.2 yards per catch this season. And he doesn't have a touchdown yet. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't rem- I don't have him down for a target in the end zone at either. Uh, he has no drops so far of the big three. He's the only one without a drop. Um, and frankly, I don't get it. I thought we were looking at you know, turning a new page and we opened up the uh, game against TCU on the you know, third down call, first possession, they threw a deep crossing route, um, like a deep, it was kind of a long post, kind of a, anyway, but a, a deep crossing route to him over the top to kind of take advantage of the defense like I thought they could against 3-3-5. And they did underneath crosses with Golden, pulled the safety down over the top of a Sam Brown. It was beautiful, right? Beautiful ball, beautiful call, everything perfect. Uh, I thought that was an indication that, oh, it's Sammy's kind of day. There was in, there was uh, talks and the you know people tweeting pregame stuff like that that uh, Sam Brown had talked some trash with the TCU guys leading up to the game on the field at you know at midfield the pregame warmup or whatever like it, it felt like with that and then the crowd being hyped and then Sam Brown being the big catch it was like oh Sam understands it's his turn to dial it up today in the game plan he went on to have uh, he had that 53 yard catch he had gone to have just just four more catches for less than 40 or less than 50 yards combined um, which if you look at his average is statistically outside of that um i don't i don't get it i don't i don't get what the deal is because i see the defense is shifting to cover up matthew and i would think that that mean you'd be finding other guys more um now i i mentioned that they're playing just those three guys and not the rest of the guys uh you know boogie johnson got a couple plays here josh cobb's got a couple plays there but nothing substantial we haven't seen a freshman whiteout yet um which is incredible considering that it's the highest ranked group of freshman whiteouts and one of the highest recruits ever come to the university of Houston since they've been ranking recruits, but they're not. And, and it's interesting that they're not because the simple fix for things like dropping and making mistakes and making mistakes and not executing as we continue to hear that they're not doing is to not play the dude. When they make the mistake, you drop a ball over the middle, you sit out a series. I don't mean to make this elementary, but it, with the talented receiver room I thought we had, I thought that would take care of itself, right? Because truthfully, with that not happening, those five drops, you could tell, five drop, five drop, five drops. Two of them were touchdowns, right? You had Carnes in the back of the end zone. And play call aside, people are going on Twitter about this, that, and the other thing, play call. Carnes is not the top tight end, top, not the top passing catch in, uh, catching tight end on the roster. And they targeted him in the corner of the end zone for a touchdown. And had he just held on the football, it would have been. It was a great throw. Uh, only where the or was where the offense could the only one that could catch it. Carnes has it, hits the ground inbounds and rolls, and the ball pops out. It's a drop, right? Like, okay, then the why if if he can't catch the ball there, why is he the tight end in the game? I'm not even saying don't throw the ball to a tight end there, but why, right? Um, why 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 there? Why that guy? Earlier in that possession. Couple plays earlier, Joseph Manjack running a drag, right, uh, just quick little drag across, gets at, he's running out of bounds. They throw the ball to him at the sideline. He can't toe tat a single foot in, so the ball gets ruled out of bounds. So it's not a drop, it's just an incompletion. But 
the best wide receiver room Dana's ever coached should keep that in bounds, right? Like, and, and if and if it's the best receiver room it's ever coached, you know, Manjack does a lot of things very well. If that's not in his bag, totally fine. He has other things very well. Get someone in who can for that play, right? Get someone who can for that play. Uh, and then one of the ones was a Matthew Golden drop. He had a, a deep shot over the top. He's behind the coverage. It goes through his hands. I don't. I don't think. I don't think anyone. I think he's still running. I don't think anyone tackles him. Uh, to this moment if he catches that football. And so this is to say that Houston did not score an offensive touchdown on Saturday. Had they had those two scores, which incorporated a couple of the drops, never mind the fact that they had the, was it third or fourth and short where Matthew Gold, it was, I thought it was fourth and two. No, it was third and four or something. And then they ran the ball and they got stopped. Uh, but, and Matthew Gold ran an eight yard out. He's wide open and it hits some hands. He drops it, right? Like, that series could have ended in points because Houston didn't convert the fourth down after that. Right? Like those moments hurt the offense in a way that is hard to come back from. But also, as ugly as the game was, if those two first drops I talked about turn into touchdowns and that last one even turns into a field goal, we're talking about this game at 36 to 30. Admittedly, things would change when be the exact same game. But that's a whole different ball game, folks. We don't feel the same way at a Monday morning water cooler if we play TCU coming off a national championship appearance 36 to 30 and scored a couple touchdowns. It wouldn't feel the same. It wouldn't be the same. The places this team would need to grow in wouldn't look this wouldn't wouldn't be in the same growth areas. Things would be changing. Now, speaking about things and changing, uh Athletic Brewing is doing a special deal where they're talking about the game-changing performance, the game-changing play of uh, every week of college football. And Houston's big game-changing play of the weekend absolutely has to be the Matthew Golden kick return touchdown. We can give him a hard time about drops. we got to tell him what he did right as well. And he had the giant kickoff return touchdown that at the time closed the gap from 13-3 to to 13-10 to and kind of sparked life and erupted a stadium ready to play Big 12 football. Um, Athletic Brewing Company has completely changed the game with non-alcoholic beers. They make non-alcoholic, beer, non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. Matthew Golden completely changed the game over the weekend. He made it feel like we really had a chance there for a moment. And Houston went in half, only down by seven because of big plays like that one. Athletic Brewing Company, again, has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good these brews are great tasting and award-winning and beat out full strength beers in global competitions my personal favorites the sour if you're like out in the hot texas heat crack open an ice cold sour it's nice and refreshing trust me on that when you find athletic brewing non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com first-time customers can use code locked on to get 15 percent off your first order and that's code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. New beer, exclusion supply, Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Now, I mentioned that there were other things said in this press conference. Um, you know, Dana said some, some stuff, I think, that is apt. He said that it's not acceptable. He said that a thousand times again. Uh, it's bad offense. So we took us in the right direction the week before when they read off all those points at the end of the game against Rice. Um, though we had some confidence, the opponent makes a difference, big 12 football, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Um, he weirdly gave TCU credit for the same kind of stuff he gave Tulsa credit for last year. He even mentioned Tulsa by name and defensive coordinator Gillespie now at TCU is a Tulsa guy. So like that combination was interesting to me. Um, 
But I, I liked that he mentioned, much like we did with our athletic brewing comment just a second ago, that that was a game at halftime. They felt good at halftime. They were down one score at halftime and had some things to fix. But on the whole, um, he said, quote, I thought we were fine at halftime. We had a good halftime. I mean, maybe I was imagining things, but we had a good halftime. Our guys were in a good headspace, went out there, and it started with offense. And he starts off like the very first play is three and out. The very first series, I mean, it's a three and out. And interestingly enough, I felt like, and I talked about it at halftime via social media uh, platforms, that Houston looked every bit like they belonged in the Big 12. Yes, they were still figuring out the offense side of things, but they were getting takeaways on defense or making plays on special teams. And frankly, while they had made mistakes, they were playing with high effort on offense and they just had to clean some stuff up at halftime, get in the drawing board, put stuff together, and I thought they'd come out and play a bunch better in the second half. And they did not. Um, number of things that Dana was critical of, including somewhat himself and less so himself than sometimes other times. But, you know, I, he felt like it called a fairly strong game uh, or somebody did. Um, mentioned that Tony Mass is being hurt in their backfield, hurt them, that the offensive line didn't sustain the blocks. Uh, I'm rewatching the offensive line tape. We'll probably talk more about that in tomorrow's episode. Um, I, I'm not quite through it a third time, but offensive line tape on that game is not as bad, I think, as people thought it was. We'll talk more about that later. Um, he he talked about execution, and um, he alluded to one thing I thought was interesting. I have been advocating on social media, and if you have not followed me, follow me at Panthers 512. Parker Jenkins, freshman running back from Houston, um, he runs different than other guys. He is fast, fast. He's got a great burst, and he hits. He just he takes the handoff and explodes. It's, it's out of a cannon. Right. I think they need to play him more. And he kind of indirectly answered that question. And it sounds like the deal may be blocking. You talked about that. Uh, Jenkins does not. Um, he has freshman back mistakes and talks about like, you know, you can't have a guy out there that makes those freshman back mistakes and this and the other thing because other teams can pick up on when he's out there. So it sounds like to me, the classic freshman back mistake you hear about oftentimes is blocking. And that if you have him out there, it kind of gives away like, Oh, he's not going to be blocking. Right. Um, and that's fine. But I, I'm going to, as I'm watching this online tape, tell you that thus far as on this third watch of it, he's not the only one that has trouble blocking and he moves very, very well. Um, and I, I just, I think he's, uh, he's that kind of explosive athlete. They want to play. I know Alton, when they played him as a freshman a couple years ago, was a much, he was a good blocker. Alton McCaskill is a very good blocker. Um, for a freshman, that is. He was very, very good. And I you know, get that that's a big jump from high school to pro, to high school to college and all that kind of stuff. But it's also, you know, you got to get something right. <laughs> and, if, and if he's got some bursts in spring, get him out there. I don't, you know. Um the two players that spoke in the post game and moving off of Dana Holgerson from it were uh, Donovan Smith and Malik Fleming. Um, my takeaway from Malik Fleming is that he is a fantastically smart young man, and he knows a lot about football. He knows about the mental side of football. He knows a lot about how to talk to folks like you and me about football. He also, when you ask him to break something down, has what felt like a photographic memory a couple weeks ago when it was his first turn to do this. Um but then in this game, when it was a little bit tougher game and a little bit more difficult game to talk about, um, he did a lot of the coaching cliche kind of things. Um, but it didn't feel cliche when he said them. They felt very authentic. Anyway, Malik Fleming, if you hear this or if anyone in your camp hears this, if you wanted to coach football someday, you already sound like someone's going to be really good at it. 
it was very continue to be very impressed. Um, Donovan Smith spoke as well, and I think first of all, I get that people might disagree with me about this because he is the quarterback and the starting quarterback. The quarterback on an offense that did not score an offensive touchdown in a game where they lost 36 to 13. Coming out and speaking in front of media afterwards and being vulnerable takes stones. It, I mean, that's that's I think that's to be commended. That's not easy to do. He did a lot of ownership. He didn't pass the ball off. He could have blamed drops. He could have blamed play calling. He could have blamed, you know, situations or he could have whatever. He didn't do any of that. He owned a lot of things. Um, very professional. Refused to be negative about other players. Um, refused to be negative about anything. And like, I know that feels like a low bar, but man, when you watch that offense, I I understand. And we'll talk with the X's nose breakdown on Tuesday. Um, you know, I think people are really down on because you know, if I mention the top segment that it, the most common thing to say after a loss is replace the coach. The second thing is always backup quarterback, right? Um, and Diamond Smith came out there and owned a lot of his side of things and refused to. I mean, someone asked him about directly about uh, the offensive line. He was like, "No, no, I get, I gotta get the ball out faster." Like, like he was not, he was not going to talk about other people and other things, um, even if I kind of think he has a right to. Um, I think there were times where the offensive line broke down in front of him. Again, I'm on my third watch of it. We'll talk more tomorrow. Um, I have to say, as I watched him talk in that final segment of of um, the media availability. It did feel like he was a little deflated. Um, again, he's a guy that came from big 12 football coming to Houston to play more big 12 football. And I, I, I don't, I don't think he could have found that was going to go as poorly as it did for the Cougs, at least for the offense. The one thing to gleam and take away from it that that was interesting was he said, uh, quote, they trust Birch and what he calls. And as I said, in the first segment, I got some questions about who's calling what and who's doing what. It sounds like at least Donovan is under the impression that a lot of the play calling is happening from one Mike Burchette, which is not the impression I had coming into the game. Uh, certainly not since midway through the Rice game. And it makes me watch since I've heard that, um, which is I was almost a halftime in the second watch through which makes me watch in a different light, I think. Uh, we'll be looking at the season a little bit different light as we keep doing this each and every week. Now, if you want to continue to talk about football and the uh, I'm about to say Rice game and the TCU game, Tuesday's episode is going to be a deeper look at the X's, O's, and analytics about what happened in it. And then we're going to try and flush it. Wednesday, we're moving into Sam Houston State. We've got a guest for Thursday's episode as well, so stay tuned for that. It's an exciting one. I like this guy. is uh, writing a lot. Uh, and Friday, we'll be doing our classic keys to the game, ways to beat uh, Sam Houston State. I I think one of them might be get off the bus and be ready to play, but we'll talk about more on that later this week. So make sure you follow me to talk all things Houston Cougars at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S, W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter, Instagram, and all of your favorite social media handles. I'll be happy to talk all things Houston Cougars if you want to talk about any other Houston sports, feel free. If you're talking about the Big 12, I'm recommending Locked On Big 12 for your second lesson of the day. Drake's doing a great job breaking down a rough weekend for our new conference mates. So make sure you check that out. Locked On Cougs is a private Locked On podcast network, and that means your team every day. Go Cougs.